Warner would say Hebrews 11 for a while, uh, at least we have. I've enjoyed studying through the great characters in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, It's been a blessing to me, and I think it's been a blessing to you too. I hope it has been, right? But Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, and what the writer is going to do now in these last eight verses, is he's going to sum up the rest of all the characters uh, of the roll call of faith. So um, he's listed many of them by name and spoken about them, but he has not done an exhaustive list of the people uh, that really would be in the roll call of faith. There are many more, and we're going to talk about some of them this morning. But the roll call of faith didn't finish with Hebrews chapter 11. The roll call of faith is still being written today. There are people that are still being added into this, people that are still uh, going to be the greats of faith, uh, but we, we may not hear about them until we enter glory. But there are still people being written in the book. Now, let me say this to you. You can be written in the book as far as that's concerned. Not in the Bible, but in the, the roll call of faith. You can be a person of faith. You see, we're going to see this morning that you don't have to be perfect to be a person of faith. Don't we sometimes think that, that you've got to be perfect, you've got to get it all right, you've got to have all your ducks lined up in a row and everything right and, and just so, and, and we feel, well, I don't. You know what? Nobody does. It's a broken world. Everybody's got problems, issues, and difficulties in their lives, and nobody's got it all together. And if that were the qualification for salvation, or if that were the qualification for being a man or a woman of faith, nobody would make it. But you know what? God takes weak people. God takes people with breaks in their lives. God takes people that are, have problems and difficulties in their lives, and he uses them to do great things. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that, because that means I could qualify. I could qualify for this. I, you don't have to be somebody fantastic. You have to be a person of faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you bless us now as we look to your word? Lord, help us. We love you, and we know, Lord, that you have the best plans for our lives. And yet, Lord, we're timid and afraid, and, Lord, we get so easily deceived and easily off track. And, Lord, we miss the blessings of the things that you want to do. Lord, would you help us? Lift us up. Let us look into your face, Lord, and know that everything we need is in you. And, uh, Lord, you can take and use us if we but will. And, Lord, would you bless us uh, as we look to the Word. Or give your people uh, hearts to hear, Lord. And, Lord, I pray you give me words to speak, those words that you want spoken. And bless in these moments now, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And we're going to read through verse 40, if you have your Bible there in front of you. Um, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, uh, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. By the way, you'll never live a life of faith unless you focus on the resurrection, unless you focus on heaven, unless you focus on the fact that your life is not here. You're just passing through here. You're just here for a short time. This this is not your life. Yes, it's uh, pretty important to us, and yes, it's uh, pretty compelling, in its way. 
But this is not your life. Your life is with him. And Colossians tells us that our lives are hid with Christ in God, that there's much more to us than what's happening now. And we've got to have that big picture view of life. We've got to have that view where we understand, no, I'm a pilgrim passing through, I'm going to heaven. Because that puts in perspective what we live and how we live in this broken world that we live in. When we recognize, no, I'm I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with him. That's who I am. That's where I'm going. Uh, These people endured because uh, they knew they were headed for a resurrection and they wanted a better resurrection. That's what will drive you uh, and change you in your walk of faith. Verse 36, And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. First thing we'll look at this morning is these were ordinary men and women. They were ordinary men and women. Sometimes God blesses those who trust him with spectacular results. We read in the text there, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, sometimes God blesses them with strength to endure persecution. And sometimes he blesses them with spectacular results. Some of these men that we're looking at here were blessed with spectacular results. They saw great things. Um, But, you know, the fact that they saw great things didn't mean that they had to be perfect. Gideon. Well, Gideon didn't believe God at first. He, He wanted God to prove it. He wanted a fleece. He wanted God to show him. He wanted God to work it out and show him. You know, you look at the life of Gideon and you think, Gideon, come on, what does God have to do to prove to you that he's in it? Why, why, are you, why are you stretching it out and trying to make it, uh, bring it to the place where, where God proves and proves and proves himself to you? Well, because he's like us. Because he's just like us. We have a hard time uh, believing that God could want me to do something. It's kind of nice to come to church on a Sunday morning and we sit in a crowd and we're all part of the crowd. And none of us are individuals. But you know what happens in a crowd like this? God speaks to people individually, doesn't he? God can actually take and speak to you. You know, it may be nothing to do with what I'm saying, but God can take and God can speak to you and God can ask something of you. And then all of a sudden we're faced with the reality of, is that really what God wants? Did I really hear right? Does God really want me to do something for him? Does God really have a plan for my life and he wants to or work something out and do And And then we get to the Gideon stage. Well, okay, Lord, just, just show me. Okay, now, Lord, you've shown me with the fleece one way. Now, now show me another way, Lord. And, and, and just for good measure, would you show me another way as well? Right? When really Gideon knew what God was asking of him, he could have believed him the first time. But you know, he was weak. We're all weak. But God did take Gideon and then he used, remember God whittled down the army? And he whittled down the army <clears throat> until uh, <clears throat> with 300 men, Gideon went against a Midianite army of 135,000. I mean, the odds... Not only are they not in your favor, but that's a suicide mission if there was ever one. But you know, when God is in it, God can do anything that he wants to do. Do you think God could take and use you to do something for him? Do you think he might have a plan to actually do that? 
Do you think you might be hiding in the crowd or maybe thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure I heard God right. We can do that, can't we? You see, we've got to get the excuses uh, out of our minds. What about Barak? Barak won a great victory for Israel over an army that had 900 chariots, but he had to be prodded by Deborah. And finally, Deborah said to him, okay, I'll go with you, but you know what? It's not going to be for your glory. You're not going to get the name for it. You know why? Because he was weak. He was very human, I suppose. What about Samson? Samson is an enigma, isn't he? Samson is as carnal as they come. He is just flesh, flesh, flesh. Blast flesh. Because God uses his strength to defeat the Philistines again and again and do great things in his life. Finally, his sin catches up with him and he loses his eyes on the head of it. But even then, in a last great moment of faith, Samson brings down the building on the Philistines. But again, you know, if I was writing Hebrews chapter 11, I wouldn't put Samson in it. But he's there. Because he was a person of faith. Do you ever think that you've done too much wrong to ever be of any use to God? Do you ever kind of get, get that kind of excuse slip? I can't because you need to get rid of that excuse slip. That doesn't work. You don't get, you, you don't get to get away uh, and say, well, you know, I've not gotten it all right. Listen, if God wants you to do something, he can enable you to do it. And he can work it out in your life in spite of your failings. By the way, we make a point there. Do you know that God doesn't use us because we don't fail? God uses us when we know we fail. God uses our weakness, not our strength. Our strength becomes his obstacle. Our weakness becomes his opportunity. And we need to recognize we're weak. Are you weak this morning? Do you recognize that you're weak? Then you're in a good place. You're in a good place for God to take and use you. Your weakness is the opportunity for God to step in uh, and God to do something through your life. What about Jephthah? Jephthah was the son of a harlot. Uh, He was driven away by his half-brothers, but then later the the elders pled with him and he came back to lead them in a battle against the enemy. And he won a victory, but he made a rash vow to sacrifice his daughter at the end of it. You know, man, a flesh. You know, a man with failings, a man with weakness. What about David? David, one of the, David is one of the greats of Scripture. In fact, it's, it's, it's hard to find many in, uh, in Scripture that come up to the standard David set for walking with God. He, 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 he's a man after God's own heart. He's a man that God can trust. He's a man that God can bless and God can use. But he's also an adulterer and a murderer. He got it wrong. So wrong. But God was still able to use him. God was still able to use this man. What about Samuel? The prophet Samuel. Prophet Samuel is one of the game changers in scripture. He's one of the, he's one of the people that, that turns. The, the nation is just about to get destroyed. It's just about to go down completely. And Samuel is placed in the right place by God to take and turn this nation around. And he does. You know, don't, don't underestimate how important Samuel was. But do you know that Samuel failed with his family? He failed with his family. His, uh, uh, his boys didn't walk with God and didn't want to walk with God. <clears throat> you see, 
What we've got is we've got all these frail men that God took and God used. Two thoughts. First of all, it's easy to say, I can't because of. But it doesn't wash with God. We're talking about somebody walking by faith here. We're not talking about somebody being perfect. If it came to being perfect, nobody could be used because we're not perfect. Only ever one person that was perfect that lived and walked this earth, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and there's been nobody else since. And there's not going to be anybody else since. So it's easy for us to say, well, I can't because, you know, I've got this problem, i got that problem, i got that. No, listen, your problems don't count. Remember Moses? God called Moses, and Moses had a whole bunch of problems, a whole bunch of excuses, reasons why God couldn't use them. But God didn't buy any of them. And Moses was greatly used of God in spite of the fact that he wasn't a perfect man. And God could take and use you. So, you know, you and I just can't say, well, no, it couldn't be me because I've got this problem. I've got this weakness. I've got this in my past. That's not going to wash with God. You're not going to get away with that one. Uh, God is not going to say, okay, I get it, and let you off the hook there. God uses weak people. And he only uses weak people. Martin Luther said this. He said that God creates out of nothing. And so before God uses a man, he makes him nothing, brings him to the end of himself, brings him to the place where he can't. And the weakness in our lives is God bringing us to the place where we don't trust ourselves where we don't trust ourselves because we're weak. But that's just the opportunity God wants to step into our lives. So first of all, don't excuse yourself because there's a problem, because there's an issue, because there's uh, been sin. Don't, don't, don't excuse yourself because of that. You know, God's gonna, God can take and God can use you anyway. Secondly, we tend to look through eyes of flesh on other people too. And somebody will come to you and say, you know, I, I believe God has asked me to do something. And you kind of squash it because you think, no, God couldn't use you. You know what? I'd have squashed a lot of these people, humanly speaking, wouldn't you? Gideon, if you haven't got enough faith to believe God the first and the second time, you know what? I don't think you're the man for the job. And yet he was. You know, how many of you have read David, the account of David's uh, wicked adultery and murder and thought, oh man, he's, he's a lowlife. You know what? God still used him. You know, let's not look on other people and decide that God can't use them because, you know, they don't match up as far as we're concerned. Let's reckon, you know what? Let's give God space to do what God does, and he's good at doing what he does, and God can take a life and turn it around and send it in a different direction if he wants to. Let's recognize, you know, that God can do it. Third thing I want to say to you is this. All these ordinary men had one thing in common. They were men who rose to faith. Now, they weren't perfect in faith. You know, they weren't in the place where they were just kind of 100% and there was no question mark in their mind, very obviously. But they were men who rose to faith and demonstrated that faith by doing what God asked them to do. Now, looking at them, they weren't people that marched out and said, okay, this is great, we're, we're, we're going to win this. No, they were people that marched out saying, Lord, we can't, but 
We need your help. And they trusted God, and God was able to take and use them. You see, faith was the issue. And we need to remember that, that when God looks upon us, faith is the issue. Faith is what God's looking for. God's looking for you to trust Him. God's looking for you to live in that place where you recognize, Lord, I can't. But you're God in heaven, and you rule everything, and, and you've promised to reward me. Lord, I'm going to trust you. You can be scared to death if you like, but you're going to trust him and you're going to do what God would have you to do. And God can take and God can use people like that. Regardless of how weak, frail, and broken you are. God can take and God can use you. So quit excusing yourself and saying, no, not me, God couldn't use me. And open up and say, okay, if God wants to, then he can. And let God be God in your life. Second thought is this, right? Some achieved great things by faith. Some achieved great things by faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.33 says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And then there's, in the same sentence, in the same verse, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. It doesn't wash like that, does it? That's not, what, that's not what you thought faith was. You see, you and I thought faith was, yeah, well, I, I, I get that. Subduing kingdoms, yeah, man, that's the kind of faith I want to have. You know, <clears throat> I want to have the kind of faith that, uh, that obtains promises. I, I, I want to have Daniel's kind of faith where you, where you shut the mouth of the lines. That's what I want. I, I want to quench the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I want to escape the edge of the sword. But I don't particularly want the kind of faith that uh, gets me tortured and <clears throat> not accepting deliverance. So it's something we need to understand about faith here, that faith can achieve great things, or faith can actually enable you to suffer great things for God. And you don't get to choose. Okay, <clears throat> so now you're all excited about faith for a few minutes there, and now we've just blown it, haven't we? Because, we, you know, we, we don't want this part. Uh, we want the good stuff. Uh, we don't want the bad stuff. But... <clears throat> We'll talk about that in a moment here. But some of these people achieved great things. Do you know that God still wants to achieve great things? By the way, I hate to say this to you. Do you you know why some achieved great things and some died? The will of God. That's it. Simple as that, the will of God. God's plan at that point was for them to die. That's, that's, That's the plan. That's what God does. And God makes the plan. But some achieve great things uh, for God. Now, all of these people that achieved great things from God reckoned on their own weakness. Out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness. It's always out of weakness. You know, Paul's a great one. But Paul's strength and his Education and his ability got in the way. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Because Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. God purposefully made Paul weak 
so that Paul could recognize he needed God's strength. And Paul got it. Paul said, oh, that, if that's the case, then I will glory in my infirmities. I'm going to rejoice in the problem you put in my life. If, if, if my weakness allows you to be strong in my life, then I hate you. I, I don't accept it, just I embrace it. I want it in my life. But <clears throat> the, all these people out of weakness were made strong. Do you know anyone that's ever done anything for God has recognized their weakness? George Mueller, they said of George Mueller, A.T. <clears throat> um, Pearson wrote a biography of George Mueller. And George Mueller is the man that uh, prayed and saw God feed the orphans, 2,000 orphans, and build orphanages and do great things. He, by the way, he's a, he, he's, he's a modern Hebrews chapter 11 character. But uh, Pearson said this about Mueller. He said, Nothing is more marked in George Mueller to the very day of his death than this, that he so looked to God and leaned on God that he felt himself to be nothing and God everything. He looked on God and he leaned on God and he felt himself to be nothing and God everything. If you had asked George Mueller, how did you do it? How did you feed all those kids? Mueller would have said to you, I didn't. You've got to be kidding. There's no way I could have fed all those kids. By the way, do you know that Mueller was a wicked, vile man in his youth? He was, read his, read his story. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty rotten story. He was a, a vile man in his youth, but God took him and God used him. And he knew it wasn't him. He knew he couldn't. He knew that it had to be God because he couldn't do it. And he leaned on God. Do you know that's always the requirement for being used of God? Hudson Taylor, uh, the great great missionary to inland China, said this. He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. All weak men. You see... What we see is it's weak people that God's using all the time. Now I want you to catch that because that's the story of Hebrews chapter 11. There's, there's, there's no great ones in there. They're all weak ones with their failings and their problems and their issues. But God stirs faith in them and they respond in faith and they do great things. Do you think God's done doing great things? Do you think the world has, you know, grown to such an extent that it doesn't need the intervention of God and the doing of great things in our day and age? Do you think it's just all kind of quieting down now and it's coasting to the end? That's totally inconsistent with who our God is. Do you know what God is looking for? He's looking for some weak people that he can do great things through. He's looking for some people that he can take and he can transform and he can use to achieve great things. That's what God's looking for. He's always looking for that. It's it's your weakness that is his opportunity, not your strength. Now, we we need to catch this point because this kind of releases God to work in our lives and tell us what he'd have us do. It's your weakness. Is it just possible that God has something he wants to do in and through you. And you've bought into the lie of thinking, couldn't be me because. 
There's, there's no way God could use me to do anything great because you need to get rid of that lie. You need to remove the deception because he is a God who takes weak people and uses them to do great things. And he's still got great things that he wants to do today. Okay, <clears throat> number three. Verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, uh, yea, moreover, and of bonds and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Uh, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. I, now, this is the side of faith we're, we're not up for, isn't it? We don't mind being up for the side of faith where God does great things through us, but we don't want to be in the place where it costs us, uh, where we suffer. <clears throat> but here's what we need to understand, that if God is in it, he can enable us to go through things that we can't imagine going through in the cold light of day. These people <clears throat> refused to turn against God to be released from their burdens. It's reading a story about um, a man of the Old Testament again. Uh, but but they, they wanted him to turn against his faith, and, the, and he was 93 years old. And they wanted him to turn against his faith, and uh, what they did was they were, they were forcing him to eat pork. And if he, eat, if he ate pork as a Jew, he, they knew he'd be defiled and uh, he'd be okay. But he spat it out. He wasn't going to take it. And so then they, they, they said to him, they said, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll let you eat some other meat and pretend it's pork. And you won't be defiled. And he said, no. He said, I have lived and walked with God all my life, and I'm not going to change it and be a bad example for others now. And he died. Now, that sounds silly, doesn't it? But you know what? He did it because God was with him. And if you read the stories of the martyrs, they are remarkable stories. People being put to the torch and singing at the same time. How do you do that? How do you sing when your life is just about to be snuffed out and the pain of the flames is beginning in your life? You can only do that if God enables you to do it. You and I need to understand that we can't imagine how that would work out in our lives. But if God were in it, if God were with us, he could enable us. And their faith enabled them to go through those kind of things for God. You see, <clears throat> here's the thing. We want to write our story, don't we? You want to write your story. Acts chapter 12, story told about Peter and of James. Herod took James and, and um, <clears throat> he killed him. Right? And when he saw it pleased everybody, he took Peter and he was going to do the same to Peter. But uh, people prayed, and an angel came and unshackled Peter, opened the gates, and let him free out of it. Now, that's kind of an enigma of a passage, because you've got James dying, and you've got Peter going free. What gives there? Well, the will of God was for Peter to live. The will of God was for James to die. 
think with me, though. Peter's going to die later on, upside down on a cross, they say. <clears throat> but he didn't die at this point. James died. Think with me. If it's the will of God, is it always a good thing? Five minutes later was James saying, oh, that's not fair. Peter gets 20 years more than me. No, he wasn't. He was with God. Whatever God does in our lives is always a good thing. God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Always. You and I fight against it because we don't think it's fair. Somebody else is getting better than me. God never does that to us. God loves you and knows you too well to bring something into your life to hurt you just for no reason. And I don't know that it'll ever happen. I'm certainly not looking for it. But if it ever comes to the place where one of us or, or all of us have to die for our faith, you know what? It won't be a bad thing. It won't be a bad thing at all. If we can walk with him and look into his eyes and know his blessing as we do it, you know what? It'll become a good thing. It'll be a, it'll be a good thing. You see, some achieve great things and some suffered great things by faith. It's all the same. Because you're going to end up with him anyway. Now, let me just <clears throat> point out one thing, one error of our age that this just demolishes. See the health and wealth gospel? The health and wealth gospel basically says this, that if you love God and if you believe God and have enough faith in God, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be taken care of. And it's, listen, it's pretty rampant out there. You'll hear messages like that. Uh, and there is a truth that God blesses us uh, uh, financially and God blesses us in health and God can heal. But understand this, that your Christianity is not a ticket to a wealthy, healthy lifestyle. And anyone that sells you, that's selling you a lie. And the problem with a lie like that, the problem with a doctrine like that, is that when you buy into it and something goes wrong, you feel like God has failed. No, he hasn't failed. He's never promised to do that. God did promise to be with you, though, whatever he asks of you. He promised to be there with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you see, it's very important to you and I which promises we put our, uh, our weight on. Because if I'm trusting God to do something that he's never said he's going to do, I'm in trouble. But when I trust God to do what he said he will do, I am safe. He's always going to come through. So here's the thing, whether it's doing great things, whether it's <clears throat> achieving great things, or whether it's suffering great things, he says he will be with me. I will be okay. Now, that is freedom in your life. That's liberty in your life, because I'm okay, I'm safe. He's going to be with me no matter what. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen, because he's going to be with me, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to walk with him, and he's going to be with me, and I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. No matter what God asks me to endure, no matter, no matter what he decides to do through, I'm going to be okay because he's going to be with me. And then when it's all over, I get to be with him uh, forever in heaven. You know what? It's pretty good. It is pretty good. Um, then number four, uh, they did it without knowing God's plan fully. They didn't know exactly what it was that God was doing. Uh, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promises. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. 
Do you know, remember that the, the writer of Hebrews has a purpose. He has a, uh, something he's going after. He's got a bunch of Hebrew believers that are kind of wobbly in their faith. Yeah, they walked with God, and they've gotten saved, but they're thinking, oh, man, this is hard, and our people have turned against us, and it's not as comfortable as it used to be, and we don't have all the rituals that we used to have, and we're not uh, enjoying it as much as we used to. And, and the writer is trying to shore them up and show them that what we have in Christ is far better than anything else. And so he talks through Hebrews chapter 11 of all these great people of faith and what they did and what they achieved. And then he says at the end of it, you know, and they didn't know the half of it. They did not know the half. They knew there was a Savior coming. They knew there was a Messiah uh, in the plan, but they had no idea how it was all going to work out and how it was all going to come about. They just didn't know. But you and I do. You and I do. You and I have a much fuller revelation than Abraham had. You and I have a much fuller revelation than King David had. You and I have a much fuller revelation than Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We we have a much, we, we know. You know, we can look back and we can see the cross and we can see the Messiah and we can see the promises that he brought to light. We, it's, it's real to us. It's much more real to us because we can see it. We can look at the word and we can see how the wrongs are all going to be righted one day. Do you ever feel that? Like it's not fair, like there's wrong and, the, and it's just uh, nobody gets, gets it sorted out. There's, listen, it's all getting sorted out someday. He's going to sort it all out. He's going to put it all to rights. All the wrongs are going to be righted in that day. And they couldn't see the clear picture that you and I have of heaven and of peace and of righteousness, that righteousness would reign. They, they couldn't see those things. And yet they walked by faith with God. Yet they trusted him. Yet they depended upon him. Yet they stepped into battle at his command. Yet they stepped into fires at his command. Yet they let him work and move in their lives and do great things. And some of them suffered greatly. And we've got so much more than they did. And what's the writer saying to us? He's saying, listen... Cheer up. Smile. Be happy about what's going on in your life because you've got so much going on. Now, if you're like me, you're likely during the week to get bogged down in the little things. And they are little things. The biggest problem you have is where you're going to spend eternity and it's fixed. The other things are little things. We get bogged down in the little things, don't we? We get bogged down in the problems. We come to the place where we don't feel God cares about us. We come to the place where this is all too much. We come to the place where we're, we get worn out with people and with problems and with difficulties. And we can get bogged down in the little things. And God says, cheer up. Look what I've done. Look what I've done for you. Look what I've shown you. You're my child. You're going to heaven. You've got all of this. He says, you got a good by the way, next week we'll, we'll, we'll take that thought and go further with that thought when he tells us this. And since you've got these great cloud of witnesses, then, you know, stop, stop feeling so downtrodden. But right now, it's easy for you and I to feel like life's come in and on top of us. We've got all these problems and all these difficulties and we can't get them sorted out. And, and um, we just want to give up. Don't give up. 
and stop thinking about it that way and begin to look at all that you do have. Do you know, being thankful will change your life. Being thankful will change your life. And, and thankfulness's first cousin is praise. That when you start thanking God and praising God for what he has done in your life, your life seems to turn around. It doesn't really, but it feels like that. Because your attitude changes when you come to the place where you start focusing on all God has done for you. In fact, I'm telling you, you can get into it and you can, you can have tears in your eyes even though you've, you've been feeling really low. When you start thanking God and praising God for all that he's done in your life. You see, these people went through it and they didn't know half that you know. They hadn't got half the promise and half the blessing that you have uh, in your lives. And God says, focus on what I've done for you. Let me, give, let me give you some concluding points, right? First of all, faith is ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward with Christ. Faith always has an eye to reward. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seeking, seek him. If you've been in your mind and in your heart piously saying, no, I don't need reward, I'm going to serve God uh, because I, I love him, you need to understand faith requires that you reckon on reward. People of faith are always ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward with Christ. Secondly, faith lives with a Godward focus, not with a focus on people or things. That's difficult in a flesh and blood world. It's difficult for you to keep your eyes focused on Him. Remember Peter? Peter stepped out of the boat and he focused on Jesus and he walked on water. And when he focused on the waves, he was sinking in the waves. See, there's a principle there for all of us to live by. Whenever I'm focused on him, I can do it. Whatever it is he wants me to do, I can do it. I can live the life. I can, I can live a life of it when I'm focused on Him. But when I start focusing on the world and focusing on the things I don't have and focusing on the people in my life, you know what? I start sinking. Faith always has a Godward focus, not a focus on people or things. Number three, faith trusts and obeys God, leaving the results to His sovereignty. Here's what will trip you up. You trusted God before, and it didn't work out the way you expected Therefore, it's not fair. It doesn't work. No, 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 no. Listen, some of these dear people trusted God and gave their lives. But they had God. So understand your theology, your understanding of who God is becomes critical to you here. God has a plan. He's working that plan out uh, in the world. And his plan is not always for me to have an easy ride. Sometimes his plan is for me to go through great difficulty. Sometimes his plan is for us to die. And we need to understand that, so that I'm going to trust God and obey God regardless of what the circumstances and how it works out. And you say, but why would I do that? Because of a reward. It's going to be worth it. It's always going to be worth it to you. Trust God. Don't you, don't you tell God how this thing is supposed to work out. That's not trusting God. 
Trusting God is saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do in the situation, I'm going to walk with you and trust you anyway. And then number four, faithfulness to Jesus Christ counts more than anything else, even than life itself. I wonder, are we there? I wonder in this easy age of Christianity, are we in that place where we're willing to say, I'm going to be faithful to him, because that's more important than anything else. You know, I think oftentimes we walk in the shallows in our Christianity. Oftentimes we live lives that are, yeah, we're Christians and we know we're going to heaven and, and we love him and we want to serve him and so on, but we never go too deep into it. Because we're not willing to face the harsh realities of our Christianity. See, the reality of our Christianity is this. He's God. I'm not. He gets to call the shots. I don't. He gives me promises to live by. And when I live by his promises, I can live well. But I don't get to call the shots. And I don't ever get to the place where I've got enough merit in the bank that I can demand of God and tell God how I want him to work this out. He's God, I'm not. But when I accept my place before him, and when I allow his grace to flow in my life, you know what? I can live the Christian life, even in the 21st century, and I can do it well, and I can do it with joy. And I can look to a reward at the end of it all that's going to make it all more than worth it. We have a good. We have it really good. But we need to reckon on that the good we have is not always going to be what we want. But that we always have Him. And because of that, it works. That's time for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this people. And Lord, we do ask you to work in our hearts right now. Lord, where there's an error in thinking, where there's a deception, where there's a lie gone in, Lord, may it be rejected and forsaken. And Lord, may you have your will and your way in each life in this room. Where there's one that needs to just accept that you want something of them, you want something more of them, may that be accepted. Uh, where there's one that needs to yield to your hands, Lord, that you do whatever you want in their lives, Lord, may that be yielded to. And where there's one that needs to walk by faith and start walking by faith, may that be this day that they start that walk of faith. And Lord, we'll praise and thank you. Every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you take a moment as the piano's playing and do business with God? God has spoken to you, just do business with him. Does he want you to do something? And you're kind of fighting it off? Could it be that he wants you to be a preacher? Could it be that he wants you to enter into some ministry? Could it be that he wants something of you? And today you'd have to say, Lord, I'm taking the excuse out of the way. If that's what you want, I'm willing. Maybe you're in the place where your faith is based on God doing what you want him to do. And it's kind of not working out very well for you because it never does. And you would say this morning, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do going to give up my plan. I'm going to do whatever you want to do, Lord, you can do because you're God and I'm going to reckon on you being with me in it. And maybe this morning you need to start a walk of faith. You need to start walking with him. That might mean you getting saved. You come into the place where you trust Christ as your Savior. 
Bible says, if you, <clears throat> if you will cry out to him that he will save you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Based on what Jesus did, he would save you if you would cry out to him. Maybe it means you just need to start looking to him and walking by faith day by day. Whatever it means, just do business with God, talk to him about it, and then follow through on it as the piano plays quietly. Father, we thank you now. Lord, would you bless each one? And Lord, bring us into a sweeter place with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.